Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. First intro for the new Pick Podcast. What is that? Well, just picks. A lot of people say, I just want the picks. All right? You're the minority, but there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes that's a good place to be. I don't agree with you, but... If you cared, you'd want the other stuff from us. You just want the picks. <laughs> All joking aside, here's what we did. We heard the feedback. The pods go long. So we're breaking it down now into actually three separate deals. And I think it's very logical. One is what you're listening to. It's the pick pod and everything but the core picks. Not just repeating the name of the teams, but the handicap and the picks. That's what you're listening to now. It comes out about 12 hours or so after the big show, as we're calling it. I think I've heard that before, but hey, that's fine. Big show has everything in it, except even with the big show, when there's like a long 15-minute story that doesn't quite, it's not quite obvious why it applies. Well, we're going to be coming out with a RJ story pod or rant or something. And whenever we get 40 minutes of that, that will come out separately. So the big show is going to be like the show last week and the typical shows, except the most far field stuff, the most off topic gets pulled out for its own little special stuff with this reinforce or special show with this reinforces is be subscribed because you're going to get the big show. You're going to get the pigs pod. And then whenever, and there's be no, it will be random. No rhyme or reason. When does the story pod come out? You don't know. I can't tell you if I knew. So subscribe. Just go to your favorite pod player. Dream preview. Subscribe. Boom. If you do it on more than one device, all the better. And when you're there, just search RJ Bell and check out Straight Out of Vegas, our Fox show, five days a week, 40 minutes. It's like a little 40-minute dip into the most important stories in Vegas and sports betting. Straight Out of Vegas. Here comes the pick pod. By the way, some weeks, if you're busy, you listen to the pick pod. Other weeks, you're not as busy, and you luxuriate in the big show. You're not committed. My goal, all joking aside, our goal at pregame is in Sleepy Jay's doing the work here. Man, he's grinding on it. Our goal is to provide you with the best experience. We're not here to tell you, oh, if you're not a purist, we don't love you. We might love you less. But we still love you. On to the first pick. Welcome to RJ Bell's Dream Preview. Weekly winners from his Wise Guy Roundtable. Broadcasting from the pregame.com studios in Las Vegas. Here is RJ Bell. That's right. And we have the week three college football edition of the dream preview with my wise guy round table. All right, guys, quick little thing at the top here. We've gotten some feedback and the feedback is a percentage of you just want the picks and it's just the picks. The Ohio state Buckeyes, Indiana Buckeyes favored by 15 and a half. Uh, let's start with Brad. 
I'm going to lean with Indiana here. So let's set the narrative of this series. Ohio State is dominated as far as straight up. They have won 24 straight times over Indiana, the Ohio State University. But against the spread, which we're talking here, as RJ cracks a good one, uh, Indiana's actually covered seven of the last eight games, or last eight times they've faced Ohio State. And I thought it was an intriguing move. And I think it's for this game specifically that Indiana made this offseason. They had a returning starter at quarterback in Peyton Ramsey, and they went to an inexperienced guy who has a higher upside in Penix, a guy that can is a lot more mobile, more dynamic when it comes to arm ability, throwing it down the field. And I think they had this game, Tom Allen, the head coach of Indiana, in mind. I just lean with Indiana here. I'm big on crowds, and I've seen this game since my childhood. And it's not that far of a drive on I-70. And I'm guessing the crowd will be only maybe 60-40 at best for Indiana. I'm telling you, I think uh, Peyton Ramsey's the guy that I'd want quarterbacking really? in this game. He played well against Ohio State a couple years ago in Bloomington, a game that they were covering going to the fourth quarter, playing very well. In fact, they had a one-point lead, I believe, going to the fourth quarter, end up losing and not covering that particular game. But I'm not so impressed with Penix Jr., 14-20 last week. Look, they're beating up on Eastern Illinois and Ball State. They better play better. And a guy they're looking to get offense from, Stevie Scott, only 3.4 yards of carry. It's not going to get it done against that Buckeye defense. Defense. Buckeyes looking pretty impressive. Justin Fields, to me, is the real deal. J.K. Dobbins, one of the best running backs in the country. And they've got playmakers, especially on defense. Chase Young, one of the best. And uh, Indiana's going to have to play their A game. But I'm looking at that home field advantage and the first true road test for Ohio State and Justin Fields. I lean with Indiana. Hmm. Okay. Question number one. How much have you upgraded Ohio State since the start of the year, uh, Brad? A couple of points. Two. Two. Does that feel sufficient? I mean, obviously you mm. think so, so let's play devil's yeah. advocate. You had questions about the coach. I did. I have a different narrative or theory, which is this guy. I'm always optimistic about decision. Let's admit one thing. We rarely as outsiders understand everything that needs to be understood to critique decision-making. Oh, they should have never hired that guy. Well, do you know who else was up for it? Do you know what they know about that guy? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of things you don't know. But under that theory, every time there's a hire, those people know, and sometimes there's just bad hires. So I'm saying from the outsider's view, you don't always know why it's a good or bad decision. But even if you had all the information, you may disagree with the decision because there's some bad decisions that are made. But if you have good decision makers... In Ohio State with head coaches, I think yeah. you, you would meet the that. The best. They're the best. All right. That's even better. Now, if you go with Urban Meyer specifically as a guy that knows football, who the my understanding is, and you can characterize it, he was in favor of this. Oh, absolutely. He specifically said this, that Ryan Day was his hand-picked successor. And then you could make the case, what were their options? Because if you see some guy with the glasses and the tape and the beer belly – and he's a hair coming out of his ears. You're, and he's married to a girl who's a four in your mind. Not that we would rate, you know, this is kind of an outdated idea. There's a one to ten. Everyone's beautiful in their own way. Is, but let's just say not your cup of tea. You might think, well, that guy's crazy. He's with a girl I don't find attractive. Or it could be, hmm, he did okay. Yeah. Right? How would you say Ohio State is maybe the Brad Pitt? Of football? 
Yeah, they're up there. Up there. Who? Who? What's the better job? Oh, the better. I Texas probably. Is it really? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe fifteen years ago. When are you <laughs> going to start winning? Because is it yeah. going to be all these coaches are bad? Oh, yeah. It's interesting. Now, I think they're up there. Were there oh could, yeah, it's top could you five even, easily. But who? I'm saying Texas. Who else could you even make the case? Because you can't say Alabama. Why not? Have- because what was Alabama before Saban? You know, back to 91 or whatever. Yeah, that's true. Right? So if you have like 15 years. Yeah, there's never, outside of Oklahoma and Ohio State, have been the two most consistent programs last year. And all it took years. was Schellenberger getting in there and then followed up by who was the dude that was after him? Oh, wow. John Blake. Yes. Yes. Ohio State's the only <laughs> school since World War II that hasn't made a really bad coaching hire. Yeah, and, and, and I'm not even talking about Blake as much as I'm saying if you look post-Switzer, yeah, it was pre-Stoops. Twelve years. High State's gone one, <laughs> even two years without winning. Exactly. Big. So the best. The best. So if you have the decision makers getting their say or, or the ones you want making the decision, like Urban Meyer, and, and again, you can say what you want about Urban Meyer. He knows football. I'm not a huge fan of him. I think he's jerk, you know, always jerking people around with your health. Just be honest. Uh, I'm fine if you want to retire. It's just don't act like it's to spend time with the family and it's, you know. So if your health concerns were there, wouldn't you even, or the family, wouldn't you take a year off in between that and your Fox gig? Yeah. <laughs> just rest for a year, buddy. Yeah, because he was on the air at like 11 one night. It was like the opening night of football. I'm like, wow, he's working to 11, the opening night I mean, of football listen, on foot, TV. Coaching is a whole different yeah, thing, but still, right? But that said, he knows football. Yeah. And they want, he wanted him. Whatever the institutional approach of Ohio State is, they wanted him, which historically has been excellent. And then they had not their choice of any coach, but of any coach would, you could imagine leaving, Ohio, State, Ohio State's probably a place that had a shot at him. Absolutely. Was there any stories about Ohio State wanting so-and-so, but they couldn't get him, so they went with that? There's none of that. So they got their choice. Yep. And how have they looked so far? Really good. So to me... And, and I said it once, we're going to pull the tape when it really gets pertinent. I said, the fact they didn't run it up in week one tells me this guy is so confident he wants to hide his strength. I don't think I could have not done that. Meaning if I'm a rookie head coach, no matter how confident I am, oh, yeah. I would want to put up 65, have it be the lead. He goes, no, you know, we'll win in December and January is where we're going to make our statement. Now, is that true or not? I don't know. Very optimistic. So, Brad, in a way, to wrap this up, by you being down on day entering the year, true or false? Yeah, I was down. You were saying with limited knowledge, yep. you knew football uh, coaching decisions better than Urban Meyer <laughs> and the Ohio State brass. Practically, yes, that was my conclusion. And I think it's so fascinating. Brad is a very intelligent person. And I think he steps outside of his knowledge base his expertise very rarely, but almost everyone does this, is it's a sport to judge coaching. It's a sport to draft, uh, judge draft choices. I think as batters, we can do that as fans. I think as batters, yeah. we got to say we really don't know. And chances are they know more than we know. That's fair. That's Brad Powers, Ken Thompson. I'm R.J. Bell. Now... I liked what you said about high variant. Because really, effectively, that quarterback, you're saying, 
the mo- more mobile guy, is a higher variance. Yes, higher upside, but I wouldn't be Higher shocked. downside. Yeah, he could throw three, four picks against the Buckeyes. So you're saying if you're going to be a 15-and-a-half-point underdog, you need variance. And that's something Indiana hasn't had. Tom Allen's entering his third year now at Indiana. They never won a game in the underdog role, straight up. Okay. So he's never had it. He's been consistent. He's beaten the teams he should have, but he's never been able to step up and, and pull an upset. And to me, does it? I get it. Even with high variance, it is sometimes in the center of the curve. But the odds of winning this game, like to me, I would think Ohio State winning this, because Ken said something earlier. He said, Indiana's going to have to bring their best game. If you mean to win, yeah, that and more. Yeah. If you mean to cover, then if they have to bring their best game to cover, then you got to love Ohio State. So you were kind of, you know, I think more to win the game. So now my point is this. If you think about three results, well, I guess there's, uh, let's think about this. There's Indiana winning outright, Ohio State winning and covering, and then there's Indiana losing the game but covering, right? Yep. So the only time betting Indiana plus 15 and a half versus betting them on the money line is if Ohio State wins by one to 15 points. Yep. So I think that's very possible, obviously. But I think because of the higher variance, it's less likely than if you had a grinder type quarterback. Yep. But I don't think the money line accounts for this. Meaning, is this other quarterback for Indiana even still on the roster? Yeah, he's still there. Yeah. If they would have said two weeks ago, hey, this guy is going to start now. And what's his name? Uh, Michael Penix. If they, the other guy, Peyton Ramsey, is the Peyton other Ram, guy. Yeah, Peyton I was Ramsey. talking about the guy who's not playing now. Right, oh, that's Peyton, Peyton Ramsey. Ramsey, and he was thirteen of fourteen last week, and you know he came in in the mm-hmm. second half. Oh, it's perfect. Yeah. So he's playing after the game. He says, yeah. "You know, he's going to start." Line would have came out. What you think? There wouldn't have been much adjustment at all. All right, would the money line have adjusted? Mm. No, no, but it should. Yeah. The that's, point, a, that's strong. The point I'm making is this feels like a case where the two quarterbacks are even. That's if you're betting the spread, two Indiana quarterbacks, you're betting the spread. Eh. But if you're thinking, I'm optimistic about Indiana, maybe look at the money line. I like it. And that brings up a good bet. Because, RJ, this is the week that this goes back to the summer when we had the college preview. This is the week where Ken Thompson, in fact, bet you on four of these big dogs this week. Ooh, I forgot about this. So, yeah. so give and us that, the and, and it's changed big time. Yeah, it went in your from favor. yeah, big time. It went from <laughs> I think it was fifty one percent you were favored back then. I'd say you're probably seventy five percent. All right, so so we cap the bet. So Ken took. He said, "Hey, week three, I'm looking at a lot of these possible big dogs." Now, when you do his voice like that, it makes him sound well, a little I'm dumber. Not. You're going like, "Hey, week three, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, that's macho. But he was thinking, I think one of these teams is going to pull an outright upset, Archie. Let me tell you. Uh, those teams being UCLA over Oklahoma, UCLA, KT, doesn't look too good right now. <laughs> Syracuse <laughs> over Clemson. What? Well, Syracuse got beat by 43, not to Clemson last week, but to little old Maryland. Then the other team, ooh, Indiana over Ohio State. We just got done saying them Buckeyes look pretty good. And then, ooh, South Carolina over the Crimson Tide. South Carolina lost their quarterback. That line's moved to touchdown. That's KT. <laughs> it's probably like 90, 95% now. <laughs> yeah. From 51 to 95. I, I think this might be my best shot right here, Indiana. 
It's you, actually yeah, the lowest line. Spread, by far, yeah. By and, and, you, and, you say, and, and Brad, you did say Indiana's covered a bunch, but they've never covered anything this low of a spread. They're usually in the 20s. Good plus point. 20s. This is the lowest spread between these two teams in 15 years. Oh, that's interesting. Wooey, if you're listening to the pick pod right now, you just missed a heck of a story recapping Ohio State, Indiana, Ken Lean, Indiana, Brad Lean, Indiana. Next game. Oh, that Bama team. I'm feeling pretty good. Favored by 25, <laughs> South Carolina. We'll start here with Brad. Here's my question, though, Brad. Somewhere in your take, I want to hear first half, second half, the way that Bama's sitting on the ball. We started talking about it a couple years ago with Malinsky. Saban plays like an NFL coach oftentimes in the second half. Yeah, so, I mean, Alabama was in a huge favorite role uh, last week against New Mexico State, 55.5 points, the largest spread we've seen in college football involving two FBS teams in six years. And you may, you gave me some homework, and I, I love this. That we actually broke down Saban according to spread. How much does he cover? Because if you've just been blindly betting on Saban the last 10, 12 years, you've been winning, but there's certain roles that he's not good at. So if you just stop betting him in those roles, you'd be even more profitable. And one of those being last week, 40-plus point favorite. It's his worst, Nick Saban, 5-14 and 14 against the spread now, only 26%. And a lot of it has to do, you mentioned it, RJ, he sits on the ball. And last week, great example, exactly zero points in the fourth quarter. They were sitting on 62. It was 62-10, to 10, and they get out. I mean, they don't score any points in the fourth quarter. They don't cover the big point spread. You know something? I me questioning Nick Saban is absurd. Yeah. I'm just going to say this because I am I know I'm missing something. Why not put freshmen out there? Like, whatever it takes. Like, if you go to second string, the third string, if you were a school that when you did get up big, you put your young players in, and maybe at a certain stage of second string, and at another stage, it's even beyond that, and let them play a normal game. Because hmm. the theory is you're getting them a bunch of reps, it makes a lot of sense now because now you can still preserve a year of eligibility if these freshmen play four games. It doesn't matter when they play them. It could be game one, game okay. eight, game nine. And, and I think in that case, what you would have to do, do they dress for every game, though, the, yeah. these freshmen? Okay. Yep. So I think with that, that you'd have to do is if a freshman someone that could viably matter, you're going to have to save his eligibility, right? Meaning don't play him in these spots. But most of these freshmen that make the team aren't ever going to play. Like It's not like, uh-oh, if this one guy gets hurt, that freshman's going to be the, the, the second stringer, right? I mean, is it there... It doesn't an... happen too often in certain positions right now in Alabama. Yeah. so I think other than that, you let the fresh. You know, you're not going to have four games that you have that big of a lead. Yeah. Right? Well, this is Alabama. Yeah. yeah. But if so, you cherry pick. But then yeah. it's... I mean, how many, you know... So how's that work with travel? When you're on the road, it might be tough. Yeah, you're taking like 15, 20 less guys with you. So does You're any... talking the home games. Yeah, did, or, or yeah. So yeah. Does anyone... This, what am I missing? Like just sitting it, on the ball like that, like, versus get a guy. Well, you're not disrespecting the other team yeah. because you're saying we're not going to try to run it up, but we want to get our reps in. These guys are going to play hard, but and when we get up by forty, we put in this. And if we get up by fifty, we'll put in these guys. I don't see the downside. I don't see it either. If anyone's got it at RJ in Vegas, we'll talk about it. That's my Twitter. Go ahead. I lean with South Carolina here, but let me say, this is Nick Saban's most profitable role. It, oh, I apologize. So you said the 40 and over. So give us, why don't you hit us with this knowledge? Okay. 
So 40 and over, 5 and 14 against the spread next statement. It's his worst. He only covers 26% of the time in that role. This week, he's laying 25 and a half. And that just so happens to be a sweet spot for Nick Saban when he's laying anywhere in the 20s. So 21, 24, 28, or 25 and a half like he is here in his career. 24 and 8 against the spread, 75%. So he's not afraid in this role to get some margin. And that's also true when he's anywhere from 10 to 20 point favorite. Those are the two sweet spots for Nick Saban between a 10 and 29 and a half point favorite. All right. So let me see your data here. Because the thing I liked about it when I glanced at it is we're able to chunk this up where there's only one break, right? Yeah. So that's what I want to see because I'm not a fan of this. And I'm not talking about anyone in particular, <laughs> but, you know, two and a half point to four and a half point. It's like there's no logic to it. But saying at this, if he's favored by more than this, things start to suffer. That makes sense. Yeah. So that point being 30 or more point favorite, Nick Saban only covers 42 percent of the time and less than a 30 point favorite and less than a 30 point favorite. He covers 67 percent of the time. That's it. I mean, you should just send a check right now. I'll, I'll, uh, I'm, I do Brad's accounting. Send it to me. <laughs> Think about that. Yeah. I mean, give the game count. Game count. Uh, you're talking seventy five, roughly seventy five games in each category. About of the two. Of the so two, he's got yeah. about. So you're saying it's about games. half and half. I took out his first year at Alabama because he was terrible for it. You, when you he's know what you should do? Going. Roll it back in. Okay. Because we're not. I mean, just for the future. Because. Yep. We're not here to, again, sometimes cherry-picking to get an eye-popping trend on social media. That's what everyone does. Elias does that. Everyone does that. But if we're batting off it, we just want the wrong number. Now, if you could make the case there's some big fundamental change, but he probably wasn't that big of a favorite there and hardly any times there either, right? He wasn't really. So, you know, let's just roll it together. But let's give Brad a little credit. So looking at the data, I see a real actionable takeaway, Brad Powers, when it comes to Urban or check that, <laughs> Nick Saban. I see three categories. One, when he's a big, big favorite. Yep. So when he's a big, big favorite, 30 or more. Now, remember, we've eliminated Alabama's uh, the first year we're saving. And this doesn't count as time at LSU or Michigan State, right? Yep. Okay. 30 points or more. 42% against the spread. All right, and that's uh, 30 winners, 42 losers. Yep. All right, so 72 games. Now, let's go on the other extreme. When he's an underdog or single-digit favorite. So he's not a big favorite at all. What's he got? He's about break-even, RJ. He's 21 and 20. All right, so not horrible, but not great. Yep. But now, it's a game they're supposed to win. 10-point or more favorite, but it's not about, oh, do we want to run it up? It's not. So it's literally from a 10-point favorite to 29-and-a-half, a 20-point a or so range. What is it? 51-26-2. Wow. That's almost, uh, let's think about that. That's almost 66%. Yes. What is it? It's right around 66%. <laughs> yeah. I mean, guys, I, I'm not saying play anything blind, I'm not saying, but... First off, if you're laying over 30 when it, during some of the greatest year, the greatest era of a college team we've ever seen, and he's hitting 50 or 42 percent, 30 or more, and then you're like Saban, Saban, games pick him, okay? Saban, Saban is loses against the Vig, 21 and 20. 
But if you're betting against him when the line's between 10 and, and not 30, <laughs> yeah. you're bucking a lot of history. Yeah, yeah. And you know what happens? If you buck history, history bucks you. Oh, yeah. I think there's something there. Yeah, there is. <laughs> I, I love saying words. I love saying buck on the radio. Yeah. I go, that's a bunch of, you know, I got to find a way where buck is a natural word where the F word would be. Because if someone says buck that, it doesn't work. Right. How do you buck that, you know? There's something there. See, that's the stuff that you only get on a big show. <laughs> <laughs> what else do we think about this game? Well, let's talk about that's That's like Ken jump in. Yeah, that's like Jesus. It's not the Brad yeah, Power special. Well, initially when I thought that this could be one of those four games, RJ, that I'd have an opportunity, <laughs> Jake Bentley was the starting quarterback. Now, real emotional story, Tyler Holinsky, the young man that ended up taking his own life at Washington State, his brother, Ryan Holinsky, became the starting quarterback for South Carolina. Very an emotional game last week when they scored a touchdown, when he threw a touchdown pass, he pointed up at the sky to his brother and uh, very emotional. So he'll get the start against Alabama those stats, a true that, freshman. Yeah, and those stats that you put up though, with uh, you know the record with Saban going against between you know twenty five and a half is the number here. That makes me skeptical. That's why I lean to South Carolina. I just think it's going to be emotional, and they don't play a lot. The last three times at uh, South Carolina, Saban's one win and two losses. So I know it's a long time in between these games. At the end of the day, it's going to be an emotional game. I think Alabama wins probably by I'd say seventeen to twenty points somewhere in that neighborhood. You know what I'd be interested in, Brad? We always talk about the spring research. I want to research how teams do as big underdogs in football. Only. You know, I'm not talking basketball because here's why. Imagine if anyone played high school football, you probably had an experience where you played a much bigger school. And you yeah. looked across and I'm like, they're 6'3 on the line. We're, yeah. you know, 5'11 and a half. You're a human, right? And in the NFL, I don't think... You know, it's the case, but in college, and maybe South Carolina isn't small enough, but you just got to wonder. I think certain teams are going to have a propensity, and maybe this isn't even applicable to a coach, meaning one team in 2015 is fine as a 30-point dog, but then you change a few players a few years later, and now they're not. I wonder how we would figure that out, because I don't think it's coaching. It's not a choice. You're either scared or you're yeah. not, and if you're, it's not so much, maybe you're scared, but it's more, you just don't want to get beat up. I mean, anyone that's, and I have, yeah, I have that feeling. but in this game, in this, this is where I give South Carolina a chance to cover is because I don't think they are going to be intimidated. They're at home. They're going to ride the crowd. And a lot of these kids played high school ball in the same area. So they know each other. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think uh, an ACC school. Right? Or, wait, South Carolina is in the SEC. Yeah. yeah. So I was thinking, I mean, this is a school that was making, it makes bowl, I mean, it's made bowl games in the last five years. So I don't think they're scared, right? You're right. I think there's times that teams may be, I mean, oh, yeah. When Alabama was laying 55 last week, you don't think anyone on that other team (laughs) was scared, right? Yeah, I think they were. And we just don't think like that. We think these are supermen, these are kids. And quite frankly, for New Mexico State, for example, these are kids that are, are the kind of people that's going to be selling used cars to you in yep. a couple of years. You're going to go, he played football? You know, they, they're they not all gigantic. Yep. All right. So, lean. South Carolina. And that's just, let me ask you a question. If there's a 20-some point favorite in college, how if you're forced to pick every game, how often are you going to lay it? Not often. I mean, even 10% of the time? 
Maybe 10, yeah, 10%. But, but 9 out of 10, it's dog or pass. Yep. Yep, that's how I am too. See, lot. I agree that college football scoring is way up in the last five, six, seven years. It jumped like five years ago. It's been pretty steady since then. But if you remember, But RJ, remember now, it's up. Oh, historically? I mean, that's since, what I'm saying. Since the early 80s, it's up two touchdowns a game. So all the Mark Lawrence stuff, all the, yeah. let's be honest, everyone but the most recent generation. Yep. Uh, this is the aberration to them, the yes. normals, the decades exactly. before. And I think Ken and you, and remember, you worked for Phil Steele for seven yep. years. That's an old school. Yep. He's got that old, you know, again, everyone is a product of their age. I mean, it's not about, you know, some people try to open their minds up more, but it's still in your blood. It's in your, it's grooved in that brain. It's not a choice sometimes. <laughs> no, you, you make a good point. When I'm watching Army play last week and they're talking about analytics and they're on their own 15-yard line, fourth and one, and they're going for it, this is something that Woody Hayes would roll over in his grave. Yeah. If you run the ball, only one thing can go wrong. If you pass, two things can go <laughs> yeah. wrong, right? That was the thing. And it's changed. And the more points that are scored, the more – I just think – and you said you're going to try to do this in the NFL more – that if to me, I almost want to take the favorite if there's not a reason to take the dog. And here's the thing: I'm not asking you guys to change your style so much that you're laying in a bunch on your best bets. I'm saying this might be a good time to work through some of those atrophied muscles, yeah. not the biceps, Ken, but the muscles in your brain. Thinking, why lay it here? Because if it's just a lean. To me, it's late. In fact, I'd ask you. In fact, I'm going to start saying, why not? When you guys lean to a big dog, okay. <laughs> I'm going to say, why not the favorite here? Because if it's just lazy, and again, not lazy as in you guys are lazy, but intellectually lazy. Conditioned. Yeah, that's yeah. a great, your condition yeah. is not even think about the favorite. See, yeah. but there, there's a reason, and that's why I looked at South Carolina at the beginning of the year, is because this is a great home field advantage for them against Alabama. It's Alabama's first uh, conference game, and it's their first tough opponent. They played two. Pe- no, you know, listen, that's a super down. valid point, but you don't have that level of point ninety percent of the time that right. you're on the and and beautiful. Yeah. All right, any closing thoughts? Nope. Nope. Now, that was productive. I like that. Okay, next game, Iowa State at home, but they're an underdog plus two and a half. Iowa comes to town, and guys, this is a not one, not two, <laughs> but triple. Like, Fezzik also likes this. Let's start with Ken, though. Ken, what do you got? Well, here's the thing. I mean, normally Iowa finds a way to cover this game. They've covered the last four, and I respect Kirk Ferentz. This is a great game. It's a lot of fun, but Iowa State comes off a bye. They had a very tough opening game, very fortunate to win that game against an FCS club, a very good FCS club in Northern Iowa. I like the quarterback, Brock Purdy. I like the coach, of course, Matt Campbell, and I think that they're going to take care of business. Iowa lost some really good receivers, and I think that's going to hurt them here. Also, a couple offensive linemen hurting as far as Iowa goes. I'm just looking for Iowa State to finally get off the schneid and break the trend against Iowa. The, the week off to really concentrate and focus in on this game has me leaning towards Iowa State and actually liking them and playing them, and I already did. Okay. I hear about, of course, Bubba Campbell. When's this guy going to start winning? This great coach. He is winning. Really? Back-to-back eight-win seasons. Mm-hmm. At mm-hmm. Iowa State, that's something. They've only had eight in their school history. And a win total out of eight, right? Yeah, right around now, eight. Let's be candid, though. Let's take some of the great coaches. So Urban Meyer. I mean, you're talking hold the on, best hold on, of hold all on, time. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Where did Urban start winning at? Miami, Ohio. 
Oh, Bowling, Bowling Green. Green, I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 Get okay. it right. Right. Bowling Bowling Green. And Utah, he was great yeah. there, too. Yeah. I like right. that. So that's what I'm saying. This guy, did he win? Oh, they won eight games one year at Utah? Or how'd they do? Won 10 and 12. Interesting. Now, how about the uh, Boise State coach? Chris Peterson? Yeah, that's not Washington. Bunch of 12 win seasons. And was that Reese? when he finally got to the big no, time? Right that was away. at like the Iowa States of the world. <laughs> right? Well, Boise State was already a really uh, good program. What? Okay. Yeah. But, I mean, how good were they? Oh, they were winning double digits with Dirk Cutter and uh, Hawkins. Dan Hawkins, yeah. Yeah. And where's Hawkins at now? <laughs> he's, uh, Is he 40 co- years he's old He's coaching yet? intramurals. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah. I mean, to me, am I, wasn't that the guy that would say, I'm 40? Or was that no, thinking, that's Gundy. Oh, okay, okay. And Hawkins had the comment, this ain't her intramurals, bro, this is Division One." <laughs> Sound like Ken there a little yeah, bit. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> so all I'm saying is this guy could be, in a weird way, he precludes himself from getting hired by a high state. But <laughs> the, fact, the fact that he is only winning eight games, though he's winning eight games, you could say means he's a, odds are he's a good coach. But he's not a great coach. Now, this is a school, though, that only wins five games a year. So, so he's not. Yeah. 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 If Urban Meyer came in here. Oh, yeah. I mean, Urban Meyer's Okay. Great. But isn't that what you're trying to hire to? That's like, true. In a weird way. All right. Here's the analogy. You want to find someone to break 10.0 in the 100-yard dash. You know, let's say a great RJ, time. if you give me four coaches in college football that are young coaches, Matt Campbell be one that I could think would ascend to an Urban Meyer. Except that's the thing. Do they ascend or do they show it earlier how old is matt campbell oh he's only like 40 he's 40 yeah all right how many great coaches didn't show it until they were 40 or older didn't and michigan state wasn't that great hold on a second is how old was he when he won lsu at lsu well i guess that was 2003 yeah 2003 so he's like 43 no no 53 well, I you know wait okay like fifty like 50. that's gonna be interesting. Yeah. Maybe I'm maybe I'm looking at the couple of cases. Otherwise, I mean, I look at Lincoln Riley, and I'm not thinking he's going to be a good coach one day. <laughs> that's a good point, right? But again, there's only a handful of those guys. But it just seems like how often do those guys flame out? Though I don't think they hardly ever do. Now, someone may have a, a fast paced offense in Kentucky, you know, at uh, not at Kentucky, but in Eastern Kentucky and. Oh, yeah, Rich Rod. Yeah, West that, Virginia set the world on fire, and then he kind of flamed out. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting point. That is. Ohio State, I think, is not afraid to lose some games to find an elite coach. Because if this guy flames out, they'll fire him and move on to the next one. I'd rather yeah. keep going for elite guys yeah. than take the B+. Plus. Sounds like a plan to me. And, and I'll say this. RJ, before Lincoln Riley, I thought there was just a set way the elite programs, usually a guy that, you know, paid his due at like a group of five school and, and had natural steps. Lincoln Riley's just thrown that all by the wayside. But hasn't McVay done that? Yeah, McVay has too. I think that's back to what we've taught. One of my stories is we talked about is being where you're native to technology and you've got that. Ken said it. I thought it was a brilliant point is he said, you know, you've got that grooved in your brain. I use that terminology, but how there's just, it's just, uh, he used the army example. Like he wouldn't even think of going for yeah. it there. Right. But a kid, a 19 year old, you know, administrative, or I guess you call it GA or whatever they are, quality control person these days. They're thinking, I wonder if we should go for this. That difference is the difference. Yeah. Not that Ken couldn't do the math 
to figure out is it a smart move. It's like you don't even think of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we got Iowa State as the pick from uh, Ken. Brad. Yeah, I like Iowa State here, too. And to add on what Ken was saying, which I think you touched on very good points, Brock Purdy is the quarterback for Iowa State. He's didn't play in last year's Iowa game, and he's got more upside at that quarterback position since anybody Iowa State's had since Seneca Wallace. So I think that's a positive. I think a big one, and this might sound square, but I don't think the market really grasps this, the, the, the normal betters. This is the first ever visit for ESPN's college game day show to Ames, Iowa. Show's been going on for about 25 years now. And if you don't think it's a big deal, go back to Washington State last year. They had their first ever visit from college game day, and we saw how big it was. And Washington State boat raced Oregon early. Looked like the game was going to be a complete blowout in the first couple quarters. I'm not saying that's going to be the case here, but I think having that type of show and that type of spotlight on them is certainly not being properly priced. I like Iowa State. And this is the best linebacking core Iowa State's probably ever had. What does that even mean, though? Well, I mean that this is this this is the best linebacking core in the Big Twelve. I mean that better right. than Oklahoma, better than anybody else in that conference this year. Now, the the trade off with first half bets, mm. you might be able to identify a greater edge in that half. You might say, well, that's the obvious bet. But if you have the right handicap, having only thirty minutes instead of six, would you rather thirty with a little bit more of an edge or sixty? With a smaller edge, that's a debate. Brad, is this one big enough that you look first half? Yeah, I think I'd. Ra- I think first half's a greater probability than full game for me. Next game. Oh, let's do Fez's. Not next game for a second. Yeah. So Fez says, "Oh, and this is interesting. Overreaction to Iowa State's three overtime game. I like it. So because this line move, he said he saw an opener where Iowa State was even favored. Yep." Now up to two and a half. And that matched my power rings. I have Iowa State minus one. I thought it was, oh, that sounds about right, the opening number. And Fez is exactly right. I think they're, whenever a team almost loses to an FCS team or almost loses to an FCS team, I always see an overreaction. The reality is Iowa State played Northern Iowa. Northern Iowa is like a top 10 FCS team. People don't understand that top 10 FCS teams are better than 20 or 30 of the lower-level FBS teams. We see it every year that happens, overreaction. Agree with Fez. Now, I haven't heard that before. So if you just, in any given year, take the 10th best FCS team, where would they rank? Let's just say you were injecting one additional into the D or into the uh, uh, FBS. Yeah, FBS. They'd be like 110. So about the 10th like, team, 20 teams are going to be worse than that. Yep. Wow. I didn't realize that either. But people say, I've never heard of that score. Exactly. That's the, the visceral yep. reaction. And I'd say it's even higher with a team like North Dakota State over the years. Oh, well, North Dakota State's better than half the teams at the FBS level. Yep. You know what would be an interesting thing yeah. to do? Now, does the FBS, when do they play their playoffs? Uh, the Well, the playoffs, you mean the FCS, their playoffs? Yeah, well, the crappy score. <laughs> the, the FCS score. I mean, anyone that made they this up like play- this, yeah. they made a mistake. Yeah, in December, early December. What happened to Division Two? Division One AA? Yeah, I mean, people understood yeah, that. They did. All these little acronyms, yeah. little tip, little branding. I might <laughs> not be that good at it, but come on. All right. I thought Fezzik meant the two overtimes people thought they'd be tied. No, you're just saying it's the result, the fact it was a close game. Close game. Remember, it was two weeks ago, Iowa State's off a right. bye. You're listening to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. 
Now back to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Next game, Florida on the road, favored by eight at Kentucky. Uh-oh, Mark Stoops time. Uh, Ken, you like the total. You like it. I do. I like the total. I like the total under 50. I, I like. I respect both defenses. I'm impressed with Kentucky's defense after losing a guy like Josh Allen, still playing good, solid ball, losing their quarterback, Terry Wilson. And we talked about Wilson having trouble being an accurate passer, uh, relies on his legs. Now they bring in a quarterback that does have Division One experience at Troy. Sawyer Smith got in last week because Terry Wilson is hurt. He is out for the year. So Kentucky will find out if Sawyer Smith can play at this level. But I expect them to be a little bit conservative, rely on the running game. They have two pretty good running backs in Smoke and Rose that have both excelled. Get the ball out to Bowden and uh, try and keep Florida honest. Florida comes off a win against Tennessee Martin and their opener. They beat Miami, but they only scored 24 points in that game despite getting 10 sacks. I think 50 is a high number game in Lexington. I think Kentucky keeps it close, and I think the game's going to go under. What do you think of the total? Oh, I'd certainly lean under. And I'll, ha- I'll pull up the numbers, but a lot of times when I was working at Phil, what we would be looking for, because I was more of a total specialist there, we'd look at these early season conference matchups, and I'm not saying ever blind- bet blindly, but a lot of times it was profitability betting unders in these early season conference matchups. So, Brad, give me, because I kind of am the uh, tea leaf reader for Mark Stoops. Tell me about the season so far. It's been, I mean... It's they, only been two games, right? So two just give games. Me the they beat two decent MAC teams. Two MAC teams that, that went to uh, bowl games a year ago. Both scores have been right around 38-17. to 17, Both uh, small covers for Kentucky. So they're 2-0 against the spread. 2-0 yeah. straight up. And you're going, ah, ooh, ah <laughs> Well, they lost their quarterback. And that's why, I mean... So that, what kind of downgrade are you making? It's not that big of a downgrade. But I think it is for this matchup, and here's why. Florida's rush defense, you know, any of that, as far as getting back after the quarterbacks, number one in college football through the first two games. As Hold far on a second. You just said two things. Rush defense yeah, and I getting said, after the quarterback. Which one are we Getting talking? after the quarterback. I'm sorry. Pass rush is what I meant. Okay. But yeah. do you feel like Florida's better against rushing quarter or running quarterbacks? Oh, no. I think the opposite. I think because we saw Miami's running quarterback who's running for his life, he was able to get outside of the pocket, avoid that pass rush a little bit, and throw down the field, making extended some drives. Oh, okay, but, but he new, still got sacked the new 10 times. Yeah. He got sacked 10 times in that the game, The new RJ. quarterback, and I didn't explain this clearly, and I apologize, RJ. The new quarterback's immobile. He's ah, kind of a statue. So it's more That's conventional. More conventional. But That's, he wasn't even good enough to start. He wasn't. Oh, and he, he's a, a transfer from Troy. So this feels like the opposite of what we liked in Indiana, which was the, the high upside, maybe it goes bad, maybe it goes good. Here, if Kentucky was a seven-point favorite, I'm thinking, hey, conventional. Yep. You probably need to break a play or two, yeah, and, Terry and this Wilson guy won't do, do it. Now that's interesting. And that's very good by uh, R.J. Beller. But it's only a lean for me for Florida because you, you usually have stoops pegged, and I think – even though Kentucky finally broke the long losing streak to Florida last year, there's still a chip on their shoulder here because they've blown. Yeah, I mean, it's a big game. I mean, especially the fact they haven't played a big game yet this year. Exactly. Who do they got next week? I'll have to look. And especially that they haven't won in Lexington against Florida for the home fans. Uh, oh, you mean that's interesting too, yeah. At but, Mississippi State. So not a big game. No, not like this. This is one yeah. of their biggest home games So in to years. me, I think that the quarterback, the quarterback's a real negative because I don't think – I mean, Stoops is not a – I don't know if they have the same OC. Mark is not a great offensive mind. They have the same OC for the last, like, five, six yeah, years. Yeah, and 
remember now. I mean, Bob, Mike Leach was the OC at Oklahoma when they won it, right? Am I remembering that right? Or was it the year before? And then it was a Mangino after. Either. Oh, I think it was Mangino. Okay. But Leach was there. Then he got he the was pe- Leach. Yeah, he was there one year. And Mangino and was, was running the, the air raid. Yes. You know, it was, yeah. So think about Bob known for defense. And remember, he was the D.C. at Florida, yeah. right? Is And at Kansas State in the mid-'90s when they were really oh, doing yeah. well. You would think Mark is being exposed to all the air raid this. The, you know, and uh, Spurrier Jr. is someone to coach with Mark a bunch where they were good friends. You know, he's, like he's been around the open yeah. passing game. And he's saying, I'm going you know, Buddy Ryan style in a way. <laughs> yeah. Right? Which isn't so bad if you want to go eight and four, nine. You know? Yeah. It's just, and if you're Kentucky, that's pretty good. Very good. But if you have a clearly superior team, one lane over, touchdown at home, I think you... The more conventional you are, the more it's about the athletes on the field. Yep. And that's not a good thing if the team's better than you. And especially because I would argue that Kentucky lost two of their best athletes they've had in the last 20, 30 years. And this will be the game that that, that can prove costly. Yeah, but Mark's a good recruit. I mean, I'm guessing yeah. we're going to see the – I mean, remember, Bud Dupree left too. It's good. Right? RJ throwing his knowledge. I don't follow college football. <laughs> well, I'm a but I know Bud Dupree. And <laughs> I'm naming when Bob Stoops was a coordinator 30 years ago at Kansas State. <laughs> I've got but a I'm li- just at the 100,000 feet. i got a little, a little bit. I pick up stray <laughs> things. But the fact of the matter is, all right, so this is interesting. This is the flip side, though, to where we thought the, new, the uh, Grinch for Oklahoma would be good. He had experience as the D.C. with – the offenses that were air raid type aggressive. Yes. And we thought playing or being DC under that kind of offense is, or with that kind of offense is tough. It's a different thing. Mark is saying, I don't want that challenge. I mean, no one thinks old school football is the, the right thing on offense, right? Because no. who's running it? Hardly anybody. Even Nick Saban finally adjusted the last three, four years. And Saban could have went, uh, was able to be delayed with it because. He wanted it to be as physical as possible because yes. he always had the best play. Exactly. And even he changed it. So this is obviously a limitation for Mark. Maybe it's the right call, meaning whatever he would gain on offense, it would hurt him on defense in his own mind, and that's part of the battle. Yep. But it goes to show you, you got there's got to be complement between the offense and defense. Yep. I don't think I've ever heard – I've heard people talk like that, that. I've never understood, though, and I don't, how that works. Because like, I'm thinking when Oregon and Chip Kelly used to run, so I'm thinking, well, shit, this is great because you can focus on cardio so much as a team where you're saying, guys, we're always going to be the best shape. Yeah. You're going to recruit certain players. There are certain sick people that want to run four hours a day or yeah. whatever, right? And that could be a huge edge. You bet, But if you have an offense that's going that fast, you better have a defense that's cardio, you know, high cardio. I don't. I guess I don't understand what the disadvantage is if you're going with an air raid type offense for you on the defensive side on that same team. Other than there's just going to be a lot of reps. Like that seems like the main thing, right? You might have to go back on the field after yeah. a, a long drive. You know, two minutes. It seems like conditioning would be the main thing, right? It would be. I guess if you got a lesser talented team, and I've seen this a lot, and you're going air raid and you're out going three and out multiple times, and you put your defense back on the field, and you already have the less talented athletes. But if but there's a flip side of that. If you have the less talented athletes, you want to increase the variance, but you want to lower the reps. And that's the thing about the air raid. The smart, or at least these modern offenses, the smart ones don't have to. 
Like, if I remember right, Chip Kelly against Ohio State in that championship game for Oregon, he wasn't running a bunch of plays. He'd get him to the line. He'd stop the substitution. And they'd sit at that line for 15, 20 seconds. It was Mark Helfrick, Chip Kelly was gone. But, yeah, he. Oh, okay. I think the first couple possessions, it was go, 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 and then they slowed it down. And, again, they probably were trying to fool him at the beginning yes. because you just don't want a lot of reps, again, yes. you know, if, if a team is superior. I'm not even sure they were at that. It wasn't. Can you believe the Buckeyes were a touchdown on That's what I remember. But they weren't, remember, they weren't even supposed I mean, that was a fluky. Yes. Kind of makes it absurd that Ohio State had legitimate arguments to be in the last two playoffs. But somehow they're the one. Th- they were a four seed, right? They're yes. the one team that that did it as a four seed. Yep. And that was the year Texas Tech or um, TCU, TCU and Baylor were right there. Yep. And he jumped them from six or Ohio State jumped them from six to four. Yep. But yeah, don't let him in the next year, <laughs> or or the next time they're on the fringe. All right. Anything to wrap? Nope. Next game. Oh, Oklahoma with that youngster coach yet to be proven <laughs> against Chip Kelly. 23 and a half. Yeah. Brad. Oh, actually, Ken likes this one, so let's start with Ken. Yeah, I like UCLA. I just uh, think it's gone to where there's too many points. Oklahoma going to travel. I respect Jalen Hurts. He's having a nice season against Houston, team that's got to work on some defense. And then South Dakota, now you're going to go out west. Teams don't do well that go from Power 5 conferences out west. I think Brad probably could find that. But if you look at the SEC, the Big 12, and the ACC, I guarantee you that they've all struggled whenever they go out west. You know why? Because none of them really do it that often. And uh, I, I think UCLA, even though Chip Kelly has struggled, they lose to Cincinnati, they lost to San Diego State. That's a game that I thought they'd win. They potentially could get Theo Howard back. He's coming off a wrist injury. This is their leading receiver coming back. He has not played in the first two games. I just think Oklahoma is going to win the game, but I think the game's going to be closer than the experts think. So I'm going to take a shot, RJ. Uh, I did play UCLA, and uh, that's a pretty good number. When you're getting plus 20 at home out on the West Coast. 23. Against them, 23, yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. 23 and a half is our number, but I think he's saying in that range yeah. of 20. All right, so here's my thought. I can't even start handicapping this game until I understand how, is this 2 plus 2 equals 7? Because like one of the things back when there was few offenses that were this fast-paced, these two, when they would play each other, the over was just, Lock City. Yeah. I mean, against the spread, it was, you know, the total. Why? Because there's some element of the math that you can't just take the averages and how people were doing back yeah. then, but rather they're going. For, and you see it at the end of the game sometimes. When the other team's yeah. scoring fast, you tend to score. For, I mean, it's crazy how a whole game can be. I mean, you look at the Saints in Houston last night, yeah. you know. Just LSU ha- Texas twenty to seven at halftime, and it's just in the fourth quarter they're just trading touchdowns. And if the whole game's like that, yeah. So how do we account for the fact that getting twenty three and a half with UCLA is probably less valuable than any possible twenty three and a half because of, of how high paced or how fast paced this game is going to be? Excellent point, but to me it just comes down. Point spread value. So I look and compare what have my lines been on these two teams because now they played a couple games compared to the market. And I've been higher on Oklahoma than the market each of their first two games. Now I've also been higher on the market on UCLA in their first two games, but nothing substantial in either direction. I have downgraded UCLA a full touchdown. After two games, a full touchdown down in my power ranks. I've upgraded Oklahoma, even though they didn't cover against Houston. And, okay, they played South Dakota in FCS school, which, I mean, they crushed like they should have. They were a 40-plus point favorite. So I've upgraded them still because I like what I've seen from the defense, and I like what I've seen from Jalen Hurts. 
And yet my power rating says this line should be like 17. It's my biggest disparity in power ratings difference out of any game this week. Therefore, I got to lean with UCLA. I think oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. The, that windup was a lean. <laughs> so, I mean, that's not bad. It's, well, you got to explain to you, us. What you just said. and I, th- But that should be something that's built in your power ratings. I'll have to make that extra step when there's, you know, when a total's like 20 points over the average. Yeah. I haven't taken that step. And I check. think, and, and, but again, that's the whole point of yes. growing, right? And I don't know exactly how to do it, but I don't think it should be that. I don't think it should just be tiers. I think it should be there's some ratio. Here's the average one, and then it becomes a coefficient. The average total, if it's above or below that, it's a coefficient. Because it's really, if you think about it, if you look at football outsiders, it's really what's this team's edge each play. When they play on offense versus defense and vice versa, and then the question is, how many reps do you expect, right? Yep. And then the question is, how many points is each yard each yard worth? And then you've got the final. I mean, there's rudimentary type algorithms like that. Obviously, the ones that win are very advanced. But for you, I think that getting to the point of adjusting for the pace of the game on the side wouldn't be all that hard. I agree. And we'll just do the math. I could do it right now in my head. So this total is about 30% higher than your typical totals, right around 57 in college football. 30% higher. If I take 30% of 17, it's what my power rating is. Well, that's an extra five points. And I get to 22, which isn't that far off the line here. Now, that's the catch 22 also is like that kind of thing. And, and I'm not sure that's the exact best way, yeah. but I think it's an approximation. But then the theory is you would have to do it in every game. So yes. I think, And then it's also the theory, as Fezzik does in his NFL, that what if you think and he was the guy that really turned me on to this concept let's give Fez some credit i mean he's hanging out at his mansion doing his work what would the quarter like if you if we looked at the four quarter lines here all right so seven times four is 28 so six times four is 24 so it's about you'd be six 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 and six but it wouldn't be would it no what what would it be like the fourth quarter would be around pick them or so in a weird way, when you get those big favorites, you've got you got to do some chopping off of the numbers, you know, where you're just Act, doing the simple math, point. right? So yours is, and, and that's the thing. What you're doing is saying, how good are these teams? Yeah. When you match them up, that is a whole different story, right? Pace yeah. game, other things. All right, cool. You know, I'm going to text my buddy. I wonder if Chip, is this, is this respect? Or where if Riley has a chance to just because let's be candid, if Oklahoma <laughs> wins by forty. Yeah, I mean Chip Kelly's on the hot seat, right? I don't know. Has who, to be. But if you love Chip Kelly, if you think he's the guy that started all this, he's the father. Oklahoma gets up if they do get up twenty. Maybe he sits on the ball. Like, what is Lincoln Riley's thoughts about Chip Kelly? Might be the most important thing in this game. I agree with that. Because there is that sense, you know, the door is, Father, I want to kill you. You want to supplant those that came before you because then you, you know, Marlowe and Barksdale. Right? Princess Bride. There you go. You knew you were Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Come on. So that to me, I don't know. Like if Leach were on the other side of this, I yeah. would like the dog because they, you know, yeah. Riley has a relationship with her. I don't know what it is. I'll, I'll try to find out. And I think that was also not only the disparity of power ratings, but you mentioned it 
where I'm conditioned to take a huge dog. It just looks like a line overreaction to me because th- this was a game you could bet on in the summer and just, uh, you know, we're talking three but weeks what was ago. It? What was it? It was like 11. All right. 12. So that's huge. You, but you said you've adjusted seven. Seven. I get you to 19. Yeah. And then how much have you upgraded? Uh, only like a point and a half or so. All right. So it's getting you up to, it got you up to, what was well, eight? the line was, the line was already saying take UCLA. My line in the uh, preseason was like nine. Yeah, but okay, but what I'm saying is if you make the adjustments you've made from the, the from the line a couple, you yeah. know, before the season, it's within right. a point. Well, I guess it's within four. I guess well, you're right. The opening number was 20. Again, it's been bad up, and that's probably another reason why I'm kind of leaning towards UCLA because who in, the, in their right mind's betting the Bruins right now? When that's the case, I like taking on that team. Who would want to bet UCLA after they lost outright to Cincinnati and San Diego State and you got Oklahoma coming to this town? This feels like one of my close at 27, though. <laughs> because what I'm yeah, saying if you is, ask me, I think like, it just goes the typical up. batter is not thinking, "Oh, I lost the value at you know at twenty and a half." I agree. They're just thinking they'll go score a bunch of points. Yep. In fact, yep. You know what we'll do? Because Ken's t- uh, tight on time. So Ken, you're you're getting to the heart of it here. So I let's do this. Let's see the game. Let's try to get through two quick ones. We're gonna skip and we're gonna double back. Okay, here's what we're gonna do. Ken has three likes left amongst the games. We're going to have Ken do his take on those three. Boom, boom, boom. And then, Brad, we're going to double back and do those three games right in a row. First game, it's going to be you like Pittsburgh, and they're getting 17 at Penn State. Yeah, and I thought this line is just a little bit too high. In fact, I make my own lines. I don't do the power ratings that Brad does, but I had this line five and a half points less than what it came out. Look, Penn State, Sean Clifford, nice story. Beat up on Idaho, an FCS team now, and Buffalo. Buffalo actually led them at the half. Now you're taking on a team, Pittsburgh, that's very physical. This is a rivalry game. And although Pittsburgh, you know, they lost to Virginia in their opener. Look, that's a Virginia program that I just said is is a team that's on the on the rise with Bronco Mendenhall. And they played an Ohio team that is pretty respectable year in, year out with Frank Solich. And they rather dominated that game defensively. So I was very impressed. I think physicality-wise, Pittsburgh's going to be able to hang with Penn State. This is a Penn State team that's still looking for skill position players to emerge. You don't have Saquon Barkley. You don't have Trace McSorley. You don't have the same speed guys that you've had in years past. Hamler's a pretty good receiver. Got a good tight end in Fryermuth. But at the end of the day, I think Pittsburgh, Kenny Pickett's going to keep this game close. And I think this game's inside 10 points. I like the Panthers. Okay. Game one of three. Ken rapid fire likes. Urgh. Next game. <laughs> oh, this is a double like with Fezzik. Stanford, Central Florida. Central Florida laying seven and a half. You like Central Florida. I do. You're going to give this team home field advantage. This is a Stanford team that, you know, I talked to their play by play guy, Scott Reese prior to the season, and he thought this team was going to struggle. He knows the personnel there very well. They lost a lot of big-time players, including an outstanding receiver in Arcega Whiteside. They don't have those guys. they got a decent tight end in Colby Parkinson, and they're going with a backup quarterback, or at least they did last week in Davis Mills. Now, K.J. Costello, under concussion protocol, maybe he does get the start, but that's not going to make me want Stanford anymore. I do like Dylan Gabriel, the freshman quarterback that UCF has inserted now as their starting quarterback. I think they have playmakers 
still, and there's going to be a speed difference. Killens is outstanding. Thompson and McCray pretty good out of the backfield as well. But there's something about Central Florida. This is a team, remember, they couldn't win a game a few years back. Now they don't lose regular season games. They're on the longest winning streak in the nation. I think they roll over Stanford, a very slow Stanford team collectively. I think there's a speed differential big time. I think UCF rolls definitely by double, double digits in this one. Cantaza killing it. Killing it. A lot of information right there, buddy. A lot of info. So, Ken, we're getting all the schedule straight. You should be good for next week. Thank you, my man. RJ, great stuff. Be safe. Tell them when they're doing technical stuff on your show early, maybe not Tuesday. There you go. (laughs) All right, Brad, let's double back. We had those three games. You got some really, I think, don't miss insight. Oh, but coincidentally, we're going to do our one and only commercial break right before. So how could you possibly leave without hearing what Brad said? Okay, Brad Powers, first of three, responding to Ken. Yeah, so we'll start with the Pittsburgh-Penn State game. I just lean with Pittsburgh here, but here's the reason why I do lean with Pittsburgh. I'm going to give you a reason why it's not a like for me. The reason it's a lean is you go to Penn State last week. Here's a Penn State team that beat Buffalo 45-13. to And it's not often when you beat a team by 32 points that you get outgained by 75 yards, you get out first down, you get dominated 2-1 to at the line of scrimmage. And it's not like Buffalo had a bunch of garbage yards when they were down three, four touchdowns. In fact, it was completely the opposite. Buffalo controlled the game in the first half. It was Penn State who came on strong at the end of the game and really extended margin, even though they were outgamed and outstatted in that one. The reason it's not a like is there's one guy that is not afraid to run up the score. It's James Franklin. He's the head coach of Penn State. We've seen this guy a couple years ago call a timeout when he's up 59 nothing against Georgia State, and he's trying to freeze a kicker on the final play of the game. It's a guy in James Franklin that last year, quite frankly, ran it up on Pittsburgh in the second half of that game, outscoring the Panthers 37 to nothing. But with that being said, this is a Pittsburgh team that's been challenged a little bit more than Penn State so far this season. Pittsburgh's already played a couple of good teams in Ohio and obviously a Virginia game in week one. And Pat Narduzzi, he's the head coach for Pittsburgh, excels in this role. This is a guy that's pulled outright upsets over Clemson on the road against Miami as a top three team, almost outright upset a playoff team in Notre Dame. So I think with that chip on their shoulder with Pat Narduzzi and a big rivalry game, catching this big of a number, I'm going to lean with Pittsburgh plus the 17. Okay. I like when a coach runs it up. Not against, like, a helpless opponent. Okay. But Penn State and Pittsburgh, let's say, Pittsburgh shouldn't be helpless. Yeah, I agree. They're, you know, comparative programs. Yeah. There's been many times in the last decade. I mean, I'll just uh, show my great knowledge of college football. Tony Dorsett. Yep. You might say Dorsett, but at Pitt. It was Dorsett. Exactly. I mean, so the Dan Marino, the idea that Penn State should be all that much better. Hey, if you're that weak in your pit, you should get beat up. Wake up, you know, might, might park you up a little bit. I mean, I, I, I guess tell me the time that running it up ever hurt a team. Uh, if you got to play them like the next year. And you should be ready for the, you should, yeah. you should, because it's two things. If you're running up with trick plays or whatever, maybe. But if you're just beating the hell out of them. Yeah. You think I gotta be honest yeah. with you? If I'm fighting Mike Tyson, and he takes it easy on me, or he doesn't, I'm thinking my anxiousness. You know, everyone talks about revenge. I'm thinking about you want to not be anywhere near the field if you're getting beat <laughs> up. Yeah. And you know, I, I just I don't think we relate to that the human part of that because we think they're Superman. We've been talking yeah. about it. Team number two in that 
trifecta, Central Florida laying over a touchdown. Yeah, and you meant you mentioned the key number there, over a touchdown. So Central Florida, if you've been following this program, the last three, four years have been built on disrespect. Hey, it's us against the world mentality, and they've been underdogs in some of these big games when they've taken on the power five teams, whether it be Auburn, LSU, and now you got a Central Florida team laying not, not only a favorite, but laying more than a touchdown against a proud Stanford program, and that is going to get their quarterback back in K.J. Costello. He's a big difference. I didn't realize how big of a difference he was until I watched last week's game. I thought he was going to be maybe like a three-point adjustment between him and Davis Mills because Davis Mills was a five-star recruit. That number might be four-and-a-half, five-point difference between K.J. Costello. He's back. And Stanford in their preferred role, RJ, 19-9 and against the spread in the underdog role the last 11 years. They like having a chip on their shoulder especially they're more than a touchdown underdog now, this is one of Central the great but this is one of the great questions is do trends with different coaches matter? like you could say same team it applies same players you know yeah. if you have a Brady Belichick trend or a B- Brady trend and then it's like same coaches but now if you get away from the same coach Oh, I, now now it's is it institutional? It's Stanford. Well, Shaw's been there the whole time. I mean, oh, he's been the head I, coach since eleven, oh, and he was geez. the OC. I guess I'm just misthinking because it just feels like Stanford. Yeah, I, yeah, my my mistake. But it feels like Stanford is just a different team now. Like, oh, I don't disagree. What do you with think's that. going on? Because here's the thing: usually, if you are in a big conference and you step up a year or two, Northwestern wins this. Yeah. It happens. You get four or five years, you usually that's the new normal. Yeah. What's happened? They kind of went away from their identity, RJ. And, and what they did was completely opposite. Pac-12 football, you know, historically throwing the football about quarterback pass game. Stanford went opposite, starting with Harbaugh. They went using a fullback, a bunch of tight ends, physical football. Pac-12 teams weren't used to seeing that on a game-in and game-out basis, seeing something different each time they played Stanford. Huge advantage for the Cardinal. Last year, what rushing the football – Looking at it was by far their worst year in over a decade. And, I mean, it wasn't just... And were they rushing poorly or not rushing as much? Not rushing as much and rushing poorly when they were. And keep in mind, they had Bryce Love. Now, he wasn't 100% healthy, but he was coming into last year a top five Heisman preseason favorite. And was one of your picks. No, you're thinking of two, two years ago. Like, two years ago, not last year. So you're saying you had Bryce Love... Not last year, but the year before. The year before. The years are flying by, RJ. Jeez. But, I mean, I guess the question is, uh, but he ended up getting second that year you had him, right? Yeah. Okay. He wasn't a preseason favorite. Remember, he was 100 ah. So you're saying you don't put it out until, or you put it out when no one thinks yeah. it's possible. And I missed one. You make year. dreams true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I missed them the- this year. <laughs> <laughs> now, speaking of the Heisman real quick, the uh, LSU quarterback. Yeah, Joe Burrow's his name. So Joe Burrow, yeah, forget 100 to 1. He's not Lamar Jackson. He's not Bryce Love. 200 to 1, Joe Burrow at preseason. Now Joe Burrow after two games, two really good games against Georgia Southern and Texas, he's like 5 to 1. And still, though, Tua. <laughs> bookies are cockroaches. They are bad. Tua and Trevor Lawrence's Heisman odds haven't changed at all. They're still like 3 to 1. And Jalen Hurts has went from like twelve to one to five to one. So you got like four guys that are five to one or better. Are you kidding me? So when you moved here off the farm, yeah, what was your feelings about bookmakers? I wanted to like buddy buddy up with them. I like looked them. They were like higher level than me. I was like, ooh, a bookmaker. 
Now it's like I look, I'm looking down at them now. Cockroaches. Cockroaches. Yeah. I want to put my shoe on them. <laughs> Metaphorically. Yeah. It's true. They are, uh, yeah, they don't like losing. And you think uh, they'd be smart enough to think, you know, every time they win, a, a guy that's, a, let's say, a loser wins, it just keeps him in the game. <laughs> All right. So Fezzik likes Central Florida. Yeah. So let's go through his rationale. Oh, he likes the, the scheduling spot. Two easy games year-to-date for Central Florida. You agree with that? Yep. Oh, yeah. And this is a team, motivationally, the chance to prove it against a power comp, you know. Good point. Big five, right? Oh, the flip side is Stanford, bad scheduling spot. Yep. You agree with that? Yeah. Physical game against Northwestern. Yep. Though, again, very overrated academically. Then USC, which you know they're up for. And guess who they play next week? Oregon. Mm. And I'll go off of that. Stanford's defense last week. So USC's playing, moved to a quick tempo, air raid offense. That Stanford defense looked gassed at the end of that game. They got outscored 35 to nothing to close out that game. And now you're traveling across the country to the heat and humidity of South. So what, what's Florida. the weather supposed to be? I have not looked. Yeah, maybe pull that up and. I should know this, but I don't. Where, like, what city is Central Florida? I think it's Orlando. I think it's not north, not south, not east, not west. <laughs> Central Florida, but it's Orlando. Okay, all right. So that's not so bad. I think there might be a Disneyland there, right? Eighty-four. Yeah. That's not terrible. That's what I never get with fat. Like you guys, well, and you do this far. Yeah, I do. It's just no. like it's like we, you talk in abstraction when yeah. there's like there's a forecast. Yes. Could be hot. It's like, well, what's the forecast? Oh, I never thought of that. <laughs> I love you calling me out on that. <laughs> All right. Now, well, Fezzik's not here. I mean, come on. <laughs> Backing up a second, Fez actually like, let's go back to that Pittsburgh, Penn State real quick. He liked Pittsburgh too. So double like with Ken on Pittsburgh and the rationale being Penn State overrated based on the miracle cover against Buffalo. So. I don't know exactly. Well, let me see here. They were 31-point favorites. Yep. They won by 32. But Buffalo outgamed Penn State by 100 yards in the yeah. first half. Now he's starting to do that. Yeah. And Buffalo led 10-7. to 7. So that is an interesting point. If you're up 10-7 to 7 and a half and you're legitimately up where you outgame by yards and you're sitting a plus. Oh, my God. Imagine Ken if he would have came oh, in yeah. if his plus 31 yeah. team lost. Yep. When they were up They've by three worse. and a half. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me, RJ? Oh, yeah. Ah, so, and that also makes me want to fade Penn State because in a weird way, or maybe that means they were looking ahead. That's the catch-22. Yeah. So how do you look at that, you know, unlikely cover? I think if you want to talk me, because I lean with Pittsburgh, if you want to talk me in a like, I'm much more, I want to take them more in the first half because I'm telling, James Franklin is one of those five guys in college football He's not. If he's up 14, he's not sitting on that lead against Pittsburgh late in the game. He's going to try to win the game by 21. That's, that's what prevents me from liking it. So what you're saying is a guy that's going to be aggressive enough to prevent the backdoor cover, if you want to fade him, because I think there's two different ways to think about what you just said. Okay. One is if it's like a 30, 40-point line, there's some people that will run it. It's, there's a difference, I think, between aggressiveness with a lead and running it up. Because if you're laying 30-some or whatever, it's not about being aggressive. The game's over. Yeah. You're running it up. 
the Eagles were aggressive. You know, we see that now with some modern coaches or more. But you're saying when the line's 17, it's not about choosing to run it up. It's if you're up 14 or 10, or you could be running the ball and kind of letting the, the score contract because you still win. Yeah. Like if you think about it, Brady or Belichick at various times will play very conservative. He just does the math and says, I don't think you can score enough. The only way I'm going to lose is if I turn the ball over. So I'm going to be conservative. I'm going to try to score, but I'd rather run clock more than anything. Yeah. You're saying Franklin's not that guy. He's not that guy. Now, do you agree with me? Aggressiveness when there's a when there's a clear lead but not a blowout versus blowout and then running it up are two different things? Absolutely. And I think the coaches who do one probably are more inclined to do the other, but it feels different. And it feels different. Well, you're right. Excellent. All right, so we're two of the three Ken rapid-fire games in the book. To be clear and specific, Ken liked Pittsburgh. Fezzik double like Pittsburgh. Brad leans Pittsburgh. But you say, hey, if you like Pitt because of Franklin's aggressiveness with the lead, and again, Pitt here is plus 17, you might want to look first half. Yep. Game number two, Central Florida laying over a touchdown, seven and a half at home against Stanford. Central Florida like from Fez and Ken. You lean the other way. Even Orlando, though, which is obviously not a tiny city, you think Stanford's all that anxious to go to Orlando? It just feels like almost like, though it's nice that Central Florida finally gets a home game. It was like, uh, who went up? Was it Missouri that went up to Wyoming in week one? Yep. I bet they were so mad. Was, <laughs> I mean, well, I guess if you're from Missouri, what are you going to really say? But I mean, like like when, uh, if I remember Miami of Florida, I always remember this bowl game. They played uh, in the against Reno or something. Yeah, they played in Nevada. Yeah, and that was what in the Boise Bowl. Yeah, the Boise one. And and you're thinking about like those Florida guys are up in Boise. <laughs> yeah, I mean they don't want to be there. No. Nope. <laughs> so it feels like there might be some of that. There could be, but I guess the fact that Central Florida has this win streak might yeah, get their attention. Exactly, and the fact Stanford was crushed last week. You don't see Stanford get crushed too often. Where do you have Central Florida in your power rankings? Yeah, I do. Like twenty three. Do you think that if you ask, let's say, uh, Joel Klatt or a normal, not a Vegas guy, where do you think he'd have him? Joel Klatt would have him like 14 maybe. Okay, so you think they're overrated. Yeah. Okay. And then now the third and final game. Fezzik doesn't have anything on it. Ken likes Syracuse. Brad. I lean Syracuse in, <laughs> in this game. I have some likes coming. We haven't got to them yet. It, they, I remember, you do five a, a week. Yeah, I do. I got There's five a minimum week. amount. We we yeah. want action, baby. Yeah. And here's the, the issue that I have with, with Clemson, and I can't believe I'm saying this. It's with their quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, through two games so far this season. Trevor Lawrence. For Clemson, what has been called a generational talent at the quarterback position by one Colin Coward, the best quarterback prospect he's seen since possibly John Elway. Here's Trevor Lawrence's stat line the first two games. Two touchdowns, three interceptions, 7.5 yards per attempt. So what does that mean, 7.5 yards per attempt? Well, if you stack rank 7.5 with all the other 130 quarterbacks in college football, it would rank 70th. And if I'm doing my math, 130 divided by 265. Oh, wow. That's 
average to below average yards per attempt with Trevor Lawrence and one of the best sets of wide receivers that I've heard some people say that we've ever seen in college football as far as size, speed, and Clemson's not throwing it down the field. And Trevor Lawrence isn't being careful with the football with already three interceptions. Keep in mind, he only threw four interceptions all of last year. And now you have a Syracuse team off a 43-point loss to Maryland. I'm thinking they were looking ahead to this game. This is the first ever time Syracuse is playing ABC at home in the Carrier Dome for a Saturday night game. And Dino Babers, their head coach, is kind of that rah-rah guy in college football and is preferred big underdog role here. Syracuse, because of what's happened the last couple years against Clemson, isn't going to be overly intimidated. I lean with the Orange. Okay, so the question is, when you have that game where there's the 12, 14, 16-point dog at home, it's a big game. They think they can win. Yeah. I don't think Syracuse thinks they can win. They were a 20. So I, I just want, oh, go ahead. They were a 25-point dog against uh, Clemson two years ago here, and they won outright. Okay, okay. So you, that's just something you, that's interesting. That's a great point because we all know 25-point dogs can win. Yeah. But this specific team yes. is going to look at that and say, hey, we're just like we were a couple years ago. Yep. Okay. They're not, though. That's why it's not a like. But if they're not, oh, but you're saying, wait, you're saying Syracuse isn't as good, but Clemson's better, but it's less of a line. No, the line's more. It's, oh. It was like 24 and a half, 25 points oh, two but, years but, ago. Now okay. it's 27 and a half. So two points. So, <laughs> but, no, but yeah. you were right. I was wrong yeah. in the way I said it, but wouldn't, that kind of says it's short. Then. Do you think Clemson's better than they were back then? Yep. And Syracuse is worse? Yep. But we're not talking a point in each one. <laughs> Probably not, no. Right? So that's interesting. That is. And I also think the fact that Clemson hasn't really performed great means if they get a chance, they're going to want to stretch their legs here a little bit. I think great people or winners, big-time winners, don't like losing, and they want to. They almost want revenge. They not only want revenge, they want the other person to suffer for having ever beat them. It makes sense. Yep. Right? If someone beats you and you hate losing, you don't just want to win the next time. You want to make the next person that's thinking about beating you scared to beat you because of what might happen after, even though you just won in theory. I don't know about Clemson. I don't know about Dabo, about all that. I just know that part of this is human nature. Part of this is Clemson got beat here the last time they played. Yep. They're not going to take it lightly. And I, even though in some spots is an almost 28-point favorite, they would, right? Yeah. And I don't think they're going to let up if they have a chance. I can agree with that. Flip side is Syracuse feels like they have a chance because it's similar, which might help them early. But I think if they get down 21-24, then it becomes an – it's almost like – yeah, I agree. I almost think that Syracuse, though it's a tiny chance, has a better chance to win the game because that they beat them two years ago. And I think they have a lesser chance to cover because if Clemson <laughs> does get up, they just keep going. That's strong. I yeah, that's interesting. That All right, that wraps up the three-peat or the trifecta from Ken Thompson and Brad following up and Fez with his takes on it. Next game, USC, BYU. BYU, four-and-a-half-point home dog. BYU just beat Tennessee. Yep. Might be worth talking about the end of that game. And what's your take on the USC quarterback? You were skeptical. 
I was. Slovis is the, his name, Keaton Slovis. And first start last week, uh, obviously exceeding my expectations because I expected uh, both teams to not score very much. And the over, RJ, and you kind of mentioned this to me. You said, hey, you think that they, you know, you're thinking and the market's thinking they're going to be conservative. Don't you think there's a chance that they just go out there and wing it? Well, that's what USC did with the, the true freshman quarterback as he throws her 377 yards and USC gets a big blowout victory. But I do have some concerns this week. And it is the first career road start for a true freshman quarterback. It's in a unique place. BYU's only, uh, USC's only been to BYU one time in their history. You're playing in elevation. And you're playing, let's face it, BYU has a lot of grown-ass men on their roster. These are guys that come back from missions that are 23, 24, 25 years old, have have a wife, and in some instances have kids. This would be their roster that would fit you, RJ, going back from a couple podcasts. I think that there's probably 20 kids on BYU's roster compared to, to some of the other ones just because they're older. And I don't trust Clay Helton in a favorite role. He was good, you know, last week expectations were low with a true freshman quarterback, but now he has expectations. And in fact, I mean, he's only covered seven times his last 23 that he's been a favorite. So that's a negative in my opinion. And I don't think BYU is going to be overly intimidated because they went toe-to-toe for a little bit with Utah, a really good team in the Pac-12 South, and they just went to SEC country and beat Tennessee. Okay, and that Tennessee win... Fluky, it was like 99% yes. for Tennessee. And what's your take? I mean, I guess we could say, how bad is Tennessee? Do you, do you think that they, you know, obviously if they fire him, it's a, it changes everything. Until they do fire him, is this one of those, hey, they're going to, you know, they're going to play as hard as they can? Or is it the players have checked out? I mean, I know you don't know for sure. How are you looking at it? I thought from watching that Tennessee BYU game, I thought Tennessee was playing as hard as they can. I mean, they just. But now they've lost another game. They've lost another game. And it feels like, though it was, the line was only what, like four or something? Yeah, four. But it feels like, and the 99% said they should have won. Now it's like, oh, the trouble continues. We'll get our real answer a couple weeks from now. Uh, They played. It sounds like a Fezzik. So you're saying. We'll get the answer yeah. to your question after the game when it's I mean, no it's longer only pertinent. Year two, I can't imagine them firing him. And when he Philip Fulmer's the new athletic director, he physically chose. He says, "I want this is my guy, Jeremy Pruitt." So I just can't. I can't imagine him firing him after two years. If it was a different AD that just walked in the door, then then maybe I could see it. But Fulmer actually hired Pruitt. And I think one thing we're seeing about the evolution of the game is these young quarterbacks. And and I actually heard, uh, you know, on YouTube, I've been watching clips from the first things first in different shows and uh, skip show. And they make an interesting point, but one we've made a good bit seven on seven, these kids grow up throwing the football now and catching it like kids in Brazil do with a soccer ball here. It's just not like that in the U S the soccer ball is just not, there uh, or at the foot of the kid all day, every day. I think football is just very different today. And if someone's a really highly prized recruit for a USC at quarterback, odds are he's pretty good. That's the the, the uh, thing that's kind of questionable here. He's only a three-star recruit. Yeah, but then, but the fact that USC recruited him yeah. means, like, I don't trust Kurt rivals. Warner, Kurt Warner was his head coach at high school and just was like, 
passing praise on this kid. So he got the stamp of approval from Kurt Warner. But and to some degree, what, what could he say, right? That's true. Because like, you, you don't – if. In a weird way, who does he who does he want to communicate with more? The coaches, where they can say, "Well, Kurt will tell him when he when, yeah. tell us when he doesn't like something." But what does that do to the players? Mm, good point. Is the fret, you know, I want to be at a like uh, Calipari is famous for getting his guys, you know, talking his guys up, getting them drafted high. You think that helps him get Kentucky recruits? Oh yeah, I think yeah. You know, so absolutely. Yeah. Real quick, uh, you touched on something. The true freshman quarterbacks. That's something that's been a weakness of mine to start the season. Uh, you look at the true freshman quarterbacks, Bo Nix off to 2-0 start for Auburn, Arizona State's quarterbacks off to 2-0 start, North Carolina's true freshman quarterback 2-0 start, pulled back-to-back, outright upsets, Slovis here at USC off to a good start last week. Normally, and this is, you, you talked about being conditioned and what's ingrained in your brain, I, I used to like to fade these true freshman quarterbacks. That has not been the case, RJ, this year. So this is what I would say, and I, I think it's a first of all yourself. You know, you lost the first week, you lost the second week. Yep, it's two weeks. It happens. You've got years of winning documented, right here in front of the world. Also documented pregame dot com. What I would say is being willing to evolve and figure some of this is bad luck, not so much bad beats, but randomness whereas you're going to have games that you're on the right side and you lose by 21 and you can't necessarily point to things it, the ball was not round especially yep. right with football uh there's turnovers etc but you're saying what what could i be doing wrong and that process is very important now the flip side is if you start second guessing yourself it's the worst so you want to be judicious about making changes but always be think you want to it's almost like a cut or measure twice, cut once. You want to always be thinking about what changes to make, but only make them judiciously. And I think you're doing that as well as anyone could. And I can see the narrative with these quarterbacks. You mentioned the seven-on-seven. Seven. Well, yeah, and, and this was what I was going to yeah. say, the second part of it, to kind of frame the rest of the conversation, is what I would say is you need to have two things, I think, to feel good about a freshman quarterback, because historically you don't. One is it is a very elite player, you know, or talent-wise. Not, yep. And number two is it has to feel like there was a choice. So meaning it's easy at a USC, at a top, top school that's going to get the best quarterback. They're not recruiting any quarterback that isn't talented. Some talented quarterbacks work out, some don't. Experience does matter. But worst case, if you've got a very talented quarterback that has a good chance of working out, that's a little bit, or that's inexperienced, yeah, that's not as good as a junior that's already proven it. But it's so much better today than it would have been 30 years ago. Where I would say it still was like 30 years ago is if a guy gets beat out. I'm always interested, like, you know, they were saying, well, this Ohio State guy, uh, you know, he wasn't even necessarily going to be the starter. But it's like, that's the point. The Buckeye saw him day after day, and then he vanquished the other people, which means he's better. So I think, and again, I don't think I'm coming up with a exact like A, then B, then C about deciding this. There's more passing, thus passing's easier now. These quarterbacks are mighty good, and they're especially good at the best program. And I guess it's an aside, which is as you're trying to assess how good someone is, if the coaches decide on them, I'm more optimistic. And again, USC is an example of that's not the case. That yeah. The other guy was clearly the starter. But the fact that it's USC, 
probably I, I was a little optimistic. But if a guy beats a guy out and then that guy gets hurt, now I'm less inclined just because the coaches knew everything and they made the choice. Yeah. So I, I, I not a unified theory yet, but final thoughts on it. No, it makes a lot of sense. And I'll add one more. I think what I'm seeing as far as high school kids, specialization, too. It used to, 20 years ago, you played three different sports. Now these kids are playing one sport and you're specializing. You're going to quarterback. And you mentioned this, RJ. You're going to, to quarterback camps when you're 12, 13, 14 year olds. Quarterback specialist. So I, that's something that I'm going to have to alter my thinking a little bit. I need a bigger d- data sample size. But the narrative makes a lot of sense to me. And remember, it's all you're always going to want more data, right? Yeah. So it's between what you think is the case and using the data to try to back that yeah. up. That order is very important. If you're using the data to find out the truth, you need a ton of data. So saying that in, in slightly different words, this is such a key point, is data revealing the truth to you, ooh, you better have a ton of data. But if you have what you think is the truth and you're trying to verify it, yeah, you want more data, but it can help verify it. Listen, let's say I came up with a new theory and it made a ton of sense. <clears throat> it was a system and it was like if a left-handed quarterback has a night game but he's got red hair and it's east of the Mississippi and I'd say, oh, you might say it's back fit, but oh my God, 73%, 300 reps. Okay. If the first game I have under that wins 70 to nothing, (laughs) do you like the trend more? Yeah, you do. But by only a smidge, right? So, I mean, it just, the more data you have, the more you can verify or not. But every piece of data helps. Yeah. Fezzik also likes BYU. He says it's a favorable schedule. Oh, let me do it. I'll do it as Fezzik. <laughs> Ready? There we go. Let me tell you something, RJ. We got USC here in a sandwich schedule spot. They just won at Stanford or versus Stanford. And they have Utah and Washington on deck. But, Fez, is Utah really that big of a game? Well, you know, Washington's after that. All right. Wasn't so good. (laughs) I was more trying to do his voice, but then I had the music. You know how he does that sing-songy when he has a presentation? Yep. Let's see if he's got anything else. BYU is the home underdog spot off an upset win against Tennessee. Oh, that's his theory. Yeah. Right. You win a game. I'm going to look this up because he said this like 10 times. Oh, is, that, is that what it takes you to finally look something up? Yeah. But, but the, the theory, this is a good example, right? Yeah. The theory is good. If you win, you're going to be distracted. Yeah. But if you get to stay at home, the distraction doesn't mean as much because you don't have the short prep time, the travel forces. And then the theory is the crowd's going to yeah. be enthused. Especially for us. So the distraction is going to be there regardless. The theory is it's mitigated by the home crowd, and the distraction doesn't mean as much if you have full prep time. Yeah, and if you're on the road for the second consecutive week, there's already, oh, we've already accomplished our goal. We already pulled one upset. We're already 1-0 on the trip. Yeah, yeah. All right, any closing thoughts on this one? Nope. So, like BYU, double like Fez and Brad. Jumping ahead, Kansas State 
seven and a half point underdogs at Mississippi State. And Brad, you have a this is what we call the a the Associated Press disagreement. Yeah, and for me, it's with Mississippi State, a team that's numbered not even in the top twenty-five of the AP poll. I'll give credit to the AP poll. It's, it's, I don't know if this is bad sign of my power ratings, or uh, it's a good sign for the AP poll that a lot of these teams are relatively close. But Mississippi State, outside the top twenty-five, not even ranked in the AP poll. I am number twenty-two, and I don't think anyone really has a good feel for how good Mississippi State is. Hear me out. First game of the season against Louisiana Lafayette, Mississippi State has eight players suspended. All eight of those players were in the two deep, most of those starters. They still found a way to, to win that game. Then last week, Mississippi State's up 21 nothing. What happens? Their quarterback, Tommy Steven, gets hurt. They still managed to win and cover that game. This is a Mississippi State team that I think people, if they're looking back to last year, they see an 8-5 and five record. But st- statistically, in the yards per play differential, this is a Mississippi State team that was a top 10 team, second only, or actually third only to Alabama and Georgia in the SEC in most st- st- statistical categories. And I don't know if it's going to matter so much in this game because I, I prefer the total more than anything. But I think this is a Mississippi State team to keep an eye on because I think they are much better than the marketplace. And once they get those suspended players back and once they get a healthy quarterback, this could be a team that's clearly top 15. When it comes to the over, RJ, here's what I'm saying. Fundamental differences for both teams. Both teams, much lower scoring teams last year. So here's why I like the over. Kansas State, to me, at least for the first couple games of the season, playing with a bigger sense of purpose offensively. First time in school history, Kansas State has topped 500 yards in back-to-back games. So that's a positive for the over. The other positive, Mississippi State's much better on offense this year, much worse on defense, over for me. I agree. I went too long. (laughs) People are like, RJ, you go 28. Get your own show, buddy. (laughs) Speaking of that, you and... uh, AJ should be, I guess it'll be after the new year, but you'll have your college oh, yeah. show. We'll probably do something in December. I mean, Yeah, maybe a little early like look. Bowl games. I'm not Fez. Oh, jeez. Yeah. He's got like three NBA games to handicap. Well, listen, in a week. When one of your main questions is lifestyle question, Waikiki or the rest of the island, you're just a different breed. I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever been or we've ever objectively had such a great ending to the show. So, we got two games left. One is a triple like. It's Fezzik's best bat. Ken likes it. And Dave Essler likes wow. it. Wow. All right? And then the other one is a double best bat that you and Ken agree. You both have your best bat. It's not a best bat and a like. I mean, exciting. I'm going to save Blossom for you. We'll go straight into this. So let's do Essler first. We'll hear Essler sound on this. And then I'll read to you the Michigan State notes from Fez. And then you can give your final thoughts. So this is Dave Essler. If you've listened, you know this guy wins. If anyone disagrees with him, NFL or college, that's physically here in Vegas because Dave's in Florida. I, the whole entire season, am betting, auto-betting on Esler's side. That's how sure I am. And plus, I want to get in you guys' heads with it. Meaning, 
if Brad loses two in a row to Esler, then I'm going to start taunting him. Esler wouldn't do that and try to get him off his game. <laughs> Just the way I am. All right, so let's listen to Dave first. Saturday, Michigan State. I bet this at minus 12 over Arizona State. It's a little more than that now. Still good. You remember these two played in Tempe last year, and we were all over ASU knowing the triple-digit temperatures would wilt the Spartans, and it did. ASU scored 13 fourth-quarter points to win the game outright. There's the massive revenge angle for the Sparty. Gone from that game, ASU's quarterback and Nikhil Harry. And how much more evident is that when against Sac State, they scored 19 points as a 35-point favorite. Now they're asking a freshman quarterback whose first two games were at home against Kent and Sac State to play an actual team, a pissed-off team, on the road who just beat a Western Michigan team badly and many Sharps thought the Broncos would cover that game. Sparty brings back their quarterback, their leading rusher, their leading wide receiver. I think Sparty makes another statement here. I think anything under minus 14 is a gift. Love Michigan State. I almost agree with everything that he said. That Great handicap. Dave Essler on Twitter. Dave underscore Essler, E-S-S-L-E-R. Fezzik notes, this is his best bet. He's got the 13. He does have 29 outs. He yeah. got his own lines. And luckily, we don't let him do that in the pregame system. But, yeah, he'll take – give him an inch. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, you know. I'm the dirtiest player in the game. He says, huge revenge game. Last year, Michigan State lost 13-16, to 16, <laughs> blowing a late lead. Two key factors favored the ASU comeback. The temperature was hot, 100 degrees. And he says a late evening start time. What does that have to do with anything? No, what? super late start time. So the body clocks for Michigan oh, State players. But wait a minute. You're telling me it was so late yeah. that that affected them, but it was still that hot. I don't think it was still 100 degrees. It's probably mm, like down to 90. Another Fezzik, right? Yeah. The high that day was probably 100. Exactly. At that point in the game, it was probably 88. So you can't really say it's both. It's so late. It's almost midnight. And then it's so hot because even, yeah. yeah, all right. And then, <laughs> then he says, Michigan State had last year's game slip through their fingers, but the loss was excusable. I expect an all-in effort in this game due to that loss. So really all he's saying is Michigan State lost a game they could have won. Now they got, and it was in Arizona. Now it's in Michigan. They're going to be ready for revenge. They're favored, so they might, you know, they can keep pounding on them and he, trying to excuse last year's game. Yep. All right. Why don't you continue? <laughs> yeah. So, besides those points, let's just talk personnel. And Michigan State's a team, RJ, in the last couple of years, I'd want no business laying a 13 point spread. Keep in mind, Michigan State offensively last year only averaged like 18 points per game offensively even though they somehow managed to win seven games. Here's what we expected from Michigan State coming in the season. Much improved offense. Uh, this was a beat-up uh, offense a year ago. Quarterback wasn't healthy. Offensive line wasn't healthy. But what we saw the first week wasn't good against Tulsa. Offense struggled. So down arrow Michigan State. But what we saw last week was arguably and statistically Michigan State's best performance, RJ, whether it be points scored, total offense, uh, big plays, big chunk plays. Best offensive performance in five years. 
And because of that, I finally got that referendum of what I expected. And for what Fez also said, I also like Michigan State minus the 13. So this is literally a quadruple like with one or two best bats. Asler's best bat. Ken likes Michigan State. Fezzik's best bat, Michigan State. You like Michigan State. Yeah. And this is probably would be your second best bat if you had to have two. It would two. be. Wowza. Michigan. Where's that green button? How much would that cost? Yeah, Oof. I was going to ask you. No, 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 no. I don't do that. I might be <laughs> crazy. But I like to get the best number when I'm crazy. One game to go. It's a rare double best bat. And Ken, Ken texted me. He said he's going to be able to swing by. And just pop in, hopefully, for this. Hopefully, by the time your handicap's done, Brad. Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Buy up your pad and pencil. I give you a piece of my mind. Best bet for me is Virginia minus seven against Florida State. But let me first set the line here and talk about it. It's the first time Virginia's ever been favored over Florida State. So you're going to, why is the line only seven? Because you're going to get those handicappers and betters out there. Well, I can't lay points with Virginia. How are they going to handle being favored? They've never been favored over Florida State. But you know, that sounds a lot like my dumb guy voice. It does. <laughs> I love it. That's, <laughs> hey, man, that's a sign of flattery. <laughs> I mean, come on. But anyways, with this, it's just two programs heading in completely opposite directions. Virginia, uh, you look at this program, Bronco Mendenhall's built it the right way. They're trending upwards each and every year, and this is by far his best team yet. We did a video, Sleepy and I, in the summer, and I said this Virginia team was trending in the right direction, and everything I've seen so far through the first two games only confirmed that this is the best Virginia team in probably two decades on the other side a florida state team that i was high on i'll be the first to admit week one best bet was on florida state i expected florida state to be one of the most improved teams in the country loved what i saw the first half against boise state since then not so much and i was going to give florida state a pass the boise state game even though i thought it was borderline inexcusable the team from florida wore out in the second half against the team from idaho but i saw exactly the same thing last week Florida State's up 21-0 against UL Monroe, and yet if it's not for a missed extra point, Florida State could have lost to UL Monroe on their home field after another disappointing performance the week prior. This is Willie Taggart, the head coach in the postgame, to me, I, I mean, just doesn't have the answers. He's bringing in, you know, two weeks ago, a water bottle into the press conference saying his team's not hydrated. You're the team from Florida. And on top of it, I think Virginia can smell an opportunity to put one on Florida State. Very rare opportunity. This is a Florida State team that I question their mental capacity to take a punch. And I think Virginia is the type of team that's going to punch them in the mouth on Saturday night. And once they do so, I might even see some quit from Florida State against a guy that might not even have the job by the end of the year. Uh, Virginia, best bat, minus seven. I know this much. If I were high, you know, in some situations, I don't think you're even able to look at the name of applicants to a job because you could be by, you know, if you like Irish people, you don't like it or whatever. Right. If I saw the name Bronco Mendenhall. Yeah. I, I mean, if that's all yeah. I got to go by, he's my coach. Yep. <laughs> I like it. Great handicap. It harkens back. Oh. All right. Ken made it, baby. Ken made it. I'm. Oh. I mean, this is fortuitous. Yo, homeboy! Welcome to the hood, brother! But, go ahead, Ken. Is finishing my point is 
is something repeatable? Is this fixable? Is it repeat? Are these issues that are just like it affected the last game? Or are these issues that are, let's say, leading indicators of future problems? And it sounds like you think Florida State not only been playing bad, it's things that feel like they're just going to keep being a problem. Excellent question. And here's the data to back it up. At Oregon, a different program, his one and only year there, Willie Taggart, the head coach, dead last Oregon was in penalties. Last year, Florida State, new program, same head coach, Willie Taggart. So dead last means the most penalties. Most penalized team in the country. Florida State last year, most penalized team in the country. This year, right now, Florida State, one of the most penalized teams in the country. This is a a systemic factor that is a negative for Willie Taggart. And where was he coached before? Uh, What was the program before this? Western Kentucky, South Florida, Oregon. Okay. Uh, if If you're... If you're not doing, like, I, I guess, it just why did Florida State hire this guy? I mean, he's from Florida. He was a good recruiter. So is Mickey South Mouse. <laughs> he had great success at South Florida. I don't. So Florida, is Dusty Rhodes. Yeah. I mean, Florida State. I mean, to be perfect, you don't know. I don't know. It's not explainable. It's not. All right, we got him. Ken Thompson, you agree? I mean, it's it's not only Brad's best bet, it's Ken's. Ken, give us why. Well, here's the thing. I think Bronco Mendenhall's building, building, I should say, a nice program there in Charlottesville. I think the foundation's been laid. He's got a quarterback that he trusts in Bryce Perkins, a dual threat. He's got a decent running game, and he's got a very solid defense. And I think that defense is going to give Florida State fits. Now, initially, I thought Florida State, they blew their opening game at home to Boise State, played a lousy second half, ended up losing 36-31, blew an 18-point lead twice. But then when you watch them play against UL Monroe last week, you understand that this team is just not very good. And when they're going to go into Charlottesville and take on a Virginia team that I think really has X's and O's down and is very stingy as far as defense, I think this is going to be two teams going in different directions. Willie Taggart and Florida State, they are not picking things up from where they thought they were going to as of last year. They thought they were going to turn things around, be bowl eligible, and be challenging over there in Clemson's half of the ACC. Virginia is that team on the other side of the ACC that I expect to play Clemson in the championship game, and I think Mendenhall's done a great job. I'm looking for Virginia to roll in this game and Florida State to have trouble scoring. I think Virginia wins this game by double digits. And you know what I love? Great handicap there quiet for a while he doesn't talk when he doesn't necessarily have a lot to say and then he just comes with it all right well that makes it a double best bet very rare double best bet brad and ken virginia favored by seven over florida state thank you ken thank you guys talk to you next week thanks for listening to rj bell's dream preview catch the wise guy roundtable each week college football released on wednesday nfl on thursday don't miss any winners subscribe on apple podcasts or wherever you listen visit podcastone.com and download the podcast one app have a question for rj you can contact him directly on twitter at rj in vegas live the dream with us each week